Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the Land of the Industry podcast. My name is Tom Jenkins. This is episode 154, and we are recording tonight's show straight after Bolton's game against Scunthorpe. Peter Kioso's second goal of his loan spell gave us a 1-0 win and made it four wins in four, and thank God he did, as none of us would have wanted to do this podcast if we had lost. So thank you, Peter. You've gave us extra work. Joining us for this episode are James Jarvis, Eddie Skelly and Lee Tennant. And in a similar vein to the last time we spoke to you, we'll be ripping off our five things segment and discussing five key issues of the last week or so in the world of Bolton Wanderers. We'll start with the biggest change to the side since we last spoke to you and possibly the change that has had the biggest effect on our season so far, it might be fair to say. And that is the introduction of Matt Jilks, who has replaced the much maligned Billy Krellin in goal. Lee, I'll start with you. What did you make of the change initially? I know, I know we spoke about it in the previous podcast and we weren't sure whether Everett was going to do it. Did it surprise you that he actually took the leap? I can't remember whether I said that. I thought he would do it. I think I was pessimistic and said he'd stick with him, but by God, I'm glad he did. I think everyone speaks for everyone. I mean, you don't want to be that too down on a, an individual, do you? Like uh, with Krellin, you don't want to sort of uh, dash his hopes and dreams of becoming a professional player by giving so much sort of stick, but it had, it had to change in it and, and you can just see the difference. Um, not that he's had two, maybe three very good saves. Um, I didn't think the one tonight was amazing when I watched it back. I thought it was a bit of a bit of a P-roller into the corner. If he, if he got beat, that would have been annoyed. So that's suggesting it wasn't a great save tonight, but it was, it was an important one to make and he just he made it with a little fuss, which is basically what he's doing. And yeah, just, just absolutely delighted that he did decide to uh, to drop him and and Jilks has pretty much, you know, he's, he's pretty much been faultless, hasn't he? Let's be honest. We, we can see the goal. Yeah, of course we did against uh, yeah, Tom Pet for Stevenies, but he literally could not do anything about that. So, apart from, you know, apart from that goal, which he's about to say, couldn't do anything about, he's, he's been, been perfect um, as much as it can be from the keeper. He's not had an awful lot to do. He's sort of shepherded and marshaled the defence pretty well. But, uh, yeah, delighted he changed and, uh, it, it does look like it could be a very key turning point in our season. It's probably very, very early, early to say that because there's only been, you know, three league matches, four in total um, since since the change took place. But it, how much of his re- sorry the recent success that we've had at Bolton can we put down to Jilks being brought in goal? Do you think, James? Do you think it's unfair to maybe just put it all down to him coming in, even though it's sort of quite the key change that has happened? I mean, three wins on the match, Jilks in his three games says a lot really um, you, mm. you, you can hear him thanks to no fans being in the stadium you can just hear how much he's talking to his defence how much he's telling them to get in position get upfield where he's going to be putting the ball etc etc and it's just made um, a massive difference to just make our defence more sturdy although we've not been peppered with attacks in recent matches compared to earlier in the season um we, 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 we still look a lot more capable, especially when it comes to passing around the back as well. We just seem to hold the ball a lot better. Evan Santos, Baptiste Delaney, they always seem to know where each other is, where where that wasn't always the case earlier in the season. It it his um his commanding of that box in and around has made such a massive difference. Not to mention the saves he's pulled off. He's one of the most agile thirty-eight year olds I've ever seen. <laughs> I, th- I thought that I think obviously the one that Lee talked about, which was along the deck from Issa, was a, it was a fairly regulation save. I think in real time I thought it was a bit better than it was. But the cross that he had to turn over the bar 
I thought was very impressive for a bloke of his age and also of his stature as well because he's not exactly uh, the how should we say this the most lithe goalkeeper we've ever had <laughs> uh, doesn't matter all that matters now is he's doing the job and he's um show, and he's showing Krellin exactly the kind of idea that you need I don't want to be da- I don't want to be down on Krellin either but the lad has been poor he start he started off okay in his first couple of games and then it just seemed like the more he conceded the more the more he just went more and more downhill whether that was in terms of confidence or performance either either did you or. think there's any chance that Krellin could be looking at jokes and sort of ever could be saying look what he's doing this is the example they want to follow before throwing Krellin back in or do you think that this is it for Krellin until Fleaver decide to recall him or we decide to get rid well, Everett seems to be a proponent of you don't change a winning team, so maybe you'll give him a chance if um, Jilks starts conceding a couple, or or we or we go back to you know losing losing a game or two. But at the moment, it I'm I don't see anywhere back in for Krellin. Him just being on the bench at the moment just seems to be um, just covering for the worst case scenario this time. So. I don't know what to tell. I don't know what to tell you. We'll have to see. No, if, maybe if Billy Billy's recalled in um, January. Yeah, I think I think that could well be uh, could well be what happens. I don't think he's doing it's doing him any favors necessarily sitting on the bench, even if he is looking at Krellin and seeing sorry looking at uh, Matt Jilks and seeing what a better example could be as a goalkeeper. Um, but with Jilks in there, Eddie, do you think that's a long term solution, or do you reckon he's a placeholder until we either? bring Krellin back in, as unlikely as that may be, or bring someone else in in January? I think he's probably going to be a placeholder till um, we can bring a, a goalkeeper in in January. Um, Everett, I think it was in the bulletin news this week that Ian Everett's always constantly looking at targets and Blackhouse is kind of implying that one of them's going to be a goalkeeper that we go after in January. I can see um, a, a more senior goalkeeper, maybe if it's a free agent, like uh, there's a couple out but the, the guy who got released by Bristol City in the summer, I can't remember his name, the Finnish bloke. Oh, uh, my input. Yeah, that's the guy. Um, he's 35, so he's only a couple of years younger than Jilks, but he'd probably be more of a long-term solution because Jilks came here thinking he's going to be the goalkeeping coach and just registered if people are getting injured. So I can see uh, a goalkeeper coming in January and, like James alluded to, uh, possibly Krillin going back in January. Um, obviously, Jilks... I think took um, well probably feels mixed emotions at the minute taking uh, the goalkeeper jersey off him because it was on his dime and his recommendation that Crowley came into the club and he's obviously been the one training him and it's got to be weird for him taking over and uh, him being under the spotlight so much so maybe Crowley goes back in January and we get a, a more experienced goalkeeper but I can see Matt Jilks Going back to just being a goalkeeping coach um, on a more permanent basis rather than being our first choice goalkeeper. Yeah, I, th- I think that could well be what happens. Although, having said that, Lee, do you not think that there could be a risk of, if, for example, we go on a continual run, I'm not saying we're going to win every game up until January from now on, but if you know the positive performances and the decent results keep coming in with Jilks in goal, do you think there could be an element of maybe not wanting to change it and keep Jilks in for as long as possible? Yeah, exactly. I was going to say, if he was... Um going to be um, playing well enough to, to keep the gloves and we're on a good run, then is there really a need to bring someone in as the number one ahead of him when you've just kind of got the, uh, I don't know, the, you've just got, got a player on a on a run and the team's on a run and the confidence is high, why would he change it? But yeah, of course we need someone else, I think. I mean, 
the, the smart thing, I think, I don't know whether Fleetwood do have the option to recall Kelly or whether we've got the option to say sort of Tassar basically in January. I'm not sure how that season-long loan works, whether you can do it in the window basically, but, um, you know, change things in, in the January window. But I think bringing in sort of sending Alexander perhaps to a National League North, North side potentially, Someone like that, maybe even a step below that, potentially. It just depends on who's willing to take a risk on an 18-year-old keeper with sort of one appearance. Uh, well, no, he played more than one time last year. He played against Bradford in the, in the Johnson Pates. But, um, you know, doing that, sending Krellin back to Fleetwood and then bringing in someone like, um, like, say, Mayhem first. And somebody, a free agent would, would make sense, you know, even sooner, really, because he can still sign them, guy, apparently. Mm-hmm. Custom, this player's plays joining clubs all, all the time at the moment, so... Um, yeah, we'll, we'll like a finished goalkeeper at Wonders, so maybe Mayhemp is a, it might be a good option for us. But you know, I think I think it would be would be wise to keep uh, if Jilts is playing as well as he is at the moment. It'd be wise to keep him in the side, backing out the orders from the back as he is at the moment. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, I resisted the temptation to say he's no finished. He's only thirty-five. Um, <laughs> it really took a lot of restraint. That um, the last thing I think I'd say on Jilts, and I'll come back to you, Ed, on this before we move on. Uh, did we see any issue possibly of, of another goalkeeper coming in and him going back to being a coach? Do you think Jilks is even the character who might view that as a step down and might still want to hang on to playing? Or again, this is just playing devil's advocate. I'm only trying to come up with reasons why we might be a little bit concerned about you know chopping and changing his role at the club. Possibly, um, but you have to assume that they, Everton, Peter uh, Everton have discussed it with him and talked about if he had to step in and be the first choice goalkeeper, how long would he want to do it for? Mm-hmm. Does he see himself lasting the season? Because he hasn't for himself a game, he hadn't played a game in over a year, he probably hadn't been training at hundred percent for more than a couple of weeks prior to that. So you, you would have hoped they, they would have had discussions and I don't see Brooks being the type of character if they do ask him to step away and they do find a more permanent solution. Maybe it is a younger goalkeeper, maybe it is a more experienced loanee. Um I don't see him being the type of person to kick up a fuss and be annoyed at going back to go- uh, being the goalkeeping coach because it did seem that when he first initially joined, anyway, he he had some you know semi-retired and his boots and was going into coaching. So I don't see a problem or an issue with him going back to doing the goalkeeping solely, uh, the goalkeeping coaching solely. But it might turn around if it gets to January and he's played consistently all that time up until the transfer window opens they might feel that he can continue doing it for the season and then they might look to find a more permanent solution at the end of the season uh, rather than rushing trying to find a stopgap goalkeeper for half a season in January Yeah, to be honest with you I think I'm at the moment don't change a winning team you don't change um, a winning formula and I think Jilks has been very much part of that so you know what happens in January happens in January. I think you know we'll come on to it later. I think there's a lot of players who could well be out of the door, um, not just Billy Krellin. So uh, I'm not saying that this team is going to be settled the entire time, but it is nice at the moment to see a settled winning team um, at Walter Wanderers because it must have been years since we've had one of those. Um, moving on to the to the next topic, um, Matt Jokes has been some, somewhat of a surprise coming in and doing so well. Another two of the surprise key players over this last um, three games that we've had in the league that we've won have been Alex Baptiste and uh, Gethin Jones. Uh, James Baptiste, obviously a much maligned person at Wanderers. We didn't like him in his first spell. We didn't really like him at the start of this second spell. You'd have to say he, he's probably guaranteed first choice um, right centre-back at the moment. He's playing quite well. Yeah. Uh, 
it's a it's a pleasant surprise. I've made no secret of the fact that I've never been an Alex Baptiste fan. I, w- I was pretty against him's decision to return, and it seemed justified those first couple, those first few games he played. I couldn't wrap my head around it, but now he just seems so he just seems so integral at the moment to the way he plays. He he looks incredibly fit, which is amazing for someone who's had two ACL operations in recent years. It's amazing the number of games he's got through, isn't it? That genuinely is incredible. And I know, it's it's it's, it's fantastic. He seems to be keeping up with Kioso, who seems to have energy for days and never hesitates to anything. Those two seem to be linking up fairly well. I've already mentioned how he just seems to have that connection, whether that's down to jokes or where he's just more used to playing an established back line alongside Santos and Delaney. He always seems to know where they are. Um, so... His heading, his heading still needs his heading still needs some work. He still has that bit of fifty p head about him, but outside of that, mm. I've I barely have a problem with Baptiste at the moment. I even said in our chat last game against Stevenage how he was personally my man of the match over Santos, which was saying something because Santos himself was a was a colossus and has been a colossus yeah, for for God knows how many games. Yeah, he's my man as well. My man of the match too. He has been fantastic, hasn't he, Lee? I mean. As Bolton fans, we do like seeing young players come through. And um, Baptiste, obviously, at 34, will be 35 come the end of January. Um, we, we'll be taking the place of Harry Brockbank if Brockbank does is able to come back from his injury to a decent level because he seemed to have that right centre-back slot relatively comfortably his before he moved to left wing-back. Do we, do we have to say at the moment that Baptiste is a better option there than Brockbank? It's tough to say. I think, I think Harry only had... We have maybe one or two games in the back three before he was switched to win back and Baptiste came came in. I think did Baptiste play alongside Brockbank? I can't really remember. But... I think it was the Harrogate game when Brockbank came in and if memory serves it was Brockbank, Santos and Delaney who played yeah, the three that game. Yeah, yeah. So I think yeah, Baptiste has been fantastic the last couple of games. He's he's really I think it's his attacking play in the ops. Not not quite as much tonight. It was more defensive work that he was that impressed me about him tonight. He was definitely in the running for one of the match tonight, in my opinion. But Tut was just head and shoulders above anyone by the end of the game. That he had, he had to get it for me definitely. But um, Kyoto was great as well. Some really good performances tonight. But let's say Baptiste has been um, just. I, I feel really bad because honestly, I sort of wrote him off after late in Orient, which you can understand. He was stupid back past just a minute, and not that he was completely ripped apart in the rest of the game particularly I mean, they scored two free kicks that, that game was a bit of a watershed moment I think wasn't it yeah well this is the thing he's, he's sort of cut out those little brain fades that have been endemic of Alex Baptiste every time we've seen him put on a Bolton shirt up until these last few games yeah exactly I think I think he still scares me when he's one on one against someone like Iser or that's ex- exactly what Leighton Orient were looking to do in the sorry not Leighton Orient um, it would just be in Scunthorpe. There we go, buddy. That's the one. Um, so Scunthorpe, Scunthorpe were just looking to release Icer in behind Baptiste, and that was pretty much their only sort of um, game plan in the first half an hour, at least. Um, although they did obviously sort of territorially dominate us with a lot of free kicks and corners uh, in the last 20 minutes of the first half. But Baptiste, excellent heading the ball. His heading's excellent. Um, his awareness is actually much better than I give him credit for. Um, yeah, he's, he's an old head. In a, in a fairly young side, not to get Delaney and you look at Delaney and Santos, you think they look like sort of 27, 28 year old defenders. I think Delaney's what, 24, Santos is about 24. They're still quite young for centre halves, and it did. I've got to say, my to it, it did make sense to bring Baptiste in. He might well have two or three shockers in a row, and we'll all be on this case again, but 
we'll have to wait and see. But I think Baptiste was was a wise move to bring into that back three. Um, even when Brock Bank was seemed the better option to bed him into what is a new system, I imagine, for Baptiste. I don't think he's played in many three at the back. Has He's played a lot of games at fullback in his career, um, Baptiste, hasn't he? Generally right he's sort of like a jack of all trades, isn't he? I think he's been pulled yeah, from pillar to post everywhere he's been. Exactly, he played left back for us, and that's where he did most of his best attacking work under this fellow under Friedman. Um, but yeah, great, great to see him turn things around. Like Santos has, um, let's have a few more of them turn it around. I think obviously we hope that really Krellin doesn't get the opportunity to turn it around <laughs> for him. But we, um, I mean, there's not many now in that first team who we, who we think started the season badly. Should we say Sarsovic probably started badly? Santos certainly did. Um, Baptiste certainly did, and and they've all turned it around to to a great extent now, which is uh, great to see. And having these games come thick and fast is the best thing that could have happened to us because it is so vital that we get we got like an understanding in the team and between partnerships between Kyoto and Baptiste down that right. That partnership looks great now. I'm not saying mm-hmm. it's world, I'm not saying it's world beating, but it looks really solid. And Kyoto was filling in for Baptiste when he went forward and vice versa, and it, it all bodes well. Yeah, it's a good point that you make there. It's exactly what I was going to come on to, and I'll ask you about this now, Ed. Um, we've obviously got that partnership down the right with Baptiste and Kioso, which does seem to be um, bearing fruit at the moment. But one on the left-hand side with uh, Delaney and Jones. Now, Jones, I think, has been a surprise key player. I think he's been very, very good since coming in, especially playing in a fairly um, unknown position to him. But do you think that that is the side where we could be seeing changes come in, as good as Jones has been do you think he's, he could be a permanent solution there or do we think we need to make, make a change at some point? I think uh, as, so long as it's working, I, I, I don't see any reason to change it. I think, you know, like you've said, Tom, I think keeping a, a winning team and at that winning side, you know, we shouldn't really change it while it's working. I think um, the second goal against Steven on the weekend uh, was absolutely fantastic in a show it will highlighted how good Jones has been that run that he made off Doyle after Doyle got the ball I don't think any of our left wing backs would have made um, no I agree absolutely like we we don't score that goal if it's Gordon or Maskell no you know no slights on them I, I just don't think they've got that experience to make that kind of run um and he's done that brilliantly so maybe having a right-footed player on the left is working at the minute um I wouldn't change it. Uh, you could possibly see maybe Delaney coming out of and having a rest, I think, after tonight's game. Mm. Uh, there was a couple of moments where he looked a little shaky and you've got the likes of Afton, Greenidge knocking on the door with both left-footed centre-halves who can come in and deputise if needed. But like I said, maybe that he won't change a winning team. But it, it's, it's not an ideal solution, is it, to have a right-footed player on the left-hand side and like we had with Brockbank, but Brockbank was playing really well there before his injury. Um, maybe they'll, they'll stick with Jones or swap him with Brockbank with Brockbank, that's an injury. And then in January, look to put Gordon Maskell out on loan to get them more experience rather than seeing them come in, in, into the first team over Jones or Brockbank. The, the last thing I'll ask you on Jones is if ever does decide that he wants a permanent left wing back solution rather than playing someone there, kind of out of position is there another place in the team that you think Jones deserves to get or do you think he'd just be unfortunate to miss out I think the only other place would be like Brock went probably competing with Baptiste for that third um, centre-back spot because I don't see him getting ahead of Kioso 
the way Kiosa's playing at the minute on that right wing back spot. And then we've got Hickman as well, who has looked a little shaky in his last couple of games, but can does like to put in a, a really good cross immediately. You know, he's that kind of person who just likes to whip the ball in. I don't really see a future for him at right wing back. Um, he, like I said, he probably could slot in at right centre back. But then he's got a lot of competition there and Baptista's probably turned a lot of people's heads how well he's playing the last few games. So I think he's going to find it difficult to get in anywhere other than left wing back at the minute. Yeah, and I think it's sort of blindingly obvious at the moment that that is the one position that really does need strengthening in January with a couple of people possibly going out. And that sort of takes us on to our third topic, which is squad depth or the lack of it. Um, sort of going on to the Newcastle under-21s game, I know, Lee, that you, you didn't manage to catch it, but we're counting it, aren't we, as our other win? And so it's four out of four, makes it sound very, very glamorous, even if it was against the kids and we almost managed to lose it. But um, James, I'll come to you. Is there anyone in that Newcastle under any twenty ones game who impressed you? Who you think could be knocking on the first team door? Um, well, well, Eddie already mentioned um, Greenwich and Taft. One of them could easily come in for Delaney. Greenwich, Greenwich does have his naive moments, but he has he does have a really good eye for a pass, and he can and he does make a good drive forward. It's just sometimes. Um, you know, he's he's like how some people saw Zuma last season. He, some you can just feel that he has a mistake in him, and it, it's just something he needs to work out work out of his game. I agree. Um, Tafter is reliable, although I think he's just going to be the replacement for um, Santos if Santos ever ends up having to miss out on a game. He just seems more comfortable in that complete central position uh, mm-hmm. in the Everts formation. So we'll see what happens there. Um, I actually thought Maskell did all right. It's probably the reason why he's the left wing back op- option on the bench over Gordon. G- Gordon's probably going to go out on loan in January, or at least I would do that if I were if I was Ian Everett. But that's just me. Uh, trying to think now. Um, I, we all know Thomason did did extremely well when he came on. Yeah. I, I, yeah, definitely I, worth talking about him. Yeah, I would definitely have him on the bench over Conley and White at the moment. No, no questions asked. Uh, trying. Well, oh, yeah, wasn't that impressed by Hickman? Um, Gordon, Conley and White are doing themselves no favors. Uh, it was a terrible mistake by Conley for that first goal, wasn't it? Rinse and repeat. He's done that a couple times this season. Um, Dar- we know we all know what Darcy can do. Personally, I might try starting him over Crawford in in another game or two, because because Craw- Crawford he's frustrating. He he's really frustrating. He has he has moments of absolute genius, and then and then you just see him sometimes with some of his deliveries from set pieces or or his long shots. So, yeah, I, I'd be tempted to try it outside of that. Yeah, I know Ganu has scored, but I, I, he's absolutely not on the keep thing for me. And and Miller's just, he, he's just some, he's just someone to steady the game. Yeah, yeah. I think he's very comp- He's a competent replacement, isn't he, Miller? The kind of person new in the last ten minutes. I think I don't necessarily think he'd nick you a goal, but his his touch up front is good enough to sort of keep uh, steady the ship, as you say. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Uh, 
is Grove I'll need, I'll need to see more of. He's not... Oh, well, he did all right against the under-21s, but that's Newcastle's under-21s. I need to see him in a... No, Stevenage, actually. I'm thinking of Stevenage. He actually did all right when he came on against Stevenage. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I don't think our deficit is too bad at the moment. It'll definitely last us up till January, but yeah, we're going to have a busy January, or at least we should if we want if we want to improve. Yeah, I agree with you. Um, Lee, I'll come to you for the one that I think has kind of been knocking on the door the most, whether it be on the pitch in that Newcastle and the 21s game or the fact that he keeps on tweeting about how pleased he is that we're winning week upon week. And that's George Taft. He was skipper that night and he clearly wants to be in the side, which is good. You know, you want people to want to play for the team. I mean, limited viewing of him earlier on in the season, but do you think he has a shout to play over Delaney? He seemed, Delaney seems to be the only person who came in for a bit of stick tonight. Yeah, um, yeah, I thought Delaney had a bit of a strange game. He just um, just seemed to lack a little bit of concentration at times and sort of either overruns the ball or under. Just sort of lost it a couple of times, didn't he? But the thing is, when he when the back when we when we won the up, I think he's great. I think I put this on the group earlier. It's a, it's a madcap idea, but when when we sort of playing to to take the lead in the game, he's not always the best on the ball. He, I think he sort of hesitates when he when he gets the ball and he, he doesn't. He doesn't. If he's more positive with the ball, and he gets the ball into his feet, and he drives with the ball, he can actually he actually outpaces people. So he's slow, but he can also be quite quick off the mark. If you know what I mean, his acceleration's not bad. It actually driving down the line and actually becoming that ball playing centre half who overlaps. Um, he would overlap Jones. He actually manages to to look half decent, but then he just has these moments where he thinks he's a liability. But mm-hmm. he's he's a great defender to have in the last sort of closing stages of the game where it's packed against the wall and it's it's about heading it away and kicking it away and, and following your man and, and concentrating. So I think I think it's unfortunate that Taft sort of came into the side, played that first game, first couple of games, was it it was Taft in the middle, Santos on the right and um was it? And then he was on the left. To, to be honest, this is the thing. In the Forest Green game it was Greenwich who played on the left and then I think well, it was yeah. New, I think Newport game I think was the last time that Taft got a league showing and yeah, in that game if memory serves it was Santos on the right yeah. God knows it, Baptiste in the middle and then Taft on the left I don't think I, I, re- I realised before because I've never seen my team play three at the back properly for, for ages we did it under Colin Tavis we did come 20 odd years I can't really I didn't look at the game tactically then I just watched the games for fun you know delve into what I could do now but in relation to watching a, a three at the back system it is quite obvious that like you say, Santos was a disaster on the right, but not to say that if, if he continued playing on the right and got used to playing on the right, he wouldn't have been as good as he is now. But it is quite clear that he prefers it in the middle of the three, which is bizarre. You think it's a back three. If you're right foot, you should be able to play in the middle on the right, no problem. But it's more nuanced than that. It's, say, Taft seems to be like, I think James said uh, already, one of the three, I can't remember which one he said, but he seems to be, well, he seems to not even get on the bench for a start, but obviously it's good that he played against Newcastle. Uh, but he seems to be the option for maybe the central um, defensive position ahead you know, of Santos, but sort of quite similar sort of attributes that in that first game, I think, um, against Boris Green, he, he tasked to get the ball and drive. I think it was Bradford, actually, I remember more. He sort of drove forward with it a bit, you know, a bit Santos-like from the back. And I think, I think he's a bit unlucky. Not, he's a bit unlucky that Santos is playing so well. Delaney's playing so well, and, and now Baptiste is playing so well. The back three, yeah, we've, we've only conceded one goal in three games. 
um, league games. So, you know, with, with that back three. So, you know, why would they change it? And equally, it's good that he's tweeting what modern day thing, isn't it? Like, so sort of look at a player's love for the club in, in twi- Twitter, but that's the only way you can do it, isn't it, I suppose? But, you know, it's good that he seems involved and he's supporting the team from the sidelines. He doesn't seem disen- disenchanted or disenfranchised that he's on. He's not even getting on the bench. Um, he must rankle with him a bit that a, a rookie Norwegian third division defender hmm. is getting in ahead of him. But, you know, Greenwich has done okay when he's played. He's, he's, he looks like he's got a bit of a rick in him and He's not someone who I think we can probably rely on yet, but we've given him a two-year deal, which is a bit of a surprise for a reason, because we think he might develop. So, great. Um, yeah, it's good that we've got these players waiting in the wings that I'm not too worried if, say, you know, not God forbid, because it's not one with the end of the world, but if, say, Santos got a three-week injury um, and Tafas coming in to play centre-half, yeah, I'd be a bit concerned, because obviously Santos has settled into that role brilliantly, and he's someone who we can rely on. We can totally rely on now, which it feels like it's fantastic injured and Saf came in, I'd be quite quite happy with that. You know, I'd be like, well, let's, you know, let, let's see how it goes, and you know, I wouldn't be sort of, oh God, Saf's in. You know, so mm-hmm. that's good that we've got we've got players in reserve who we who should hopefully step up to the plate if they needed. Yeah, the running yeah, theme. Yes. The, the, so I was about to say the running theme in this conversation seems to be when it comes to the back line, we 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 seem to all all agree that we're relatively fine for the most part. Maybe maybe just a different left wing back option, but outside of that, we seem to, we seem to be light. We, we, yeah, left wing back is a is a yeah. yeah, which seems to be the most worrying part because I wouldn't trust that that much Miller and Ganua again if if Dylan Delfonso got injured. I wouldn't trust White and Conway to come in if um, Sarsovic and Tuck got mm. injured. But, I think Miller did okay. I think Miller did all right tonight. I think he was intelligent in the way he sort of used the ball and played it down the channels and didn't sort of give it away needlessly. And yeah, I thought he did okay, Miller. He, he doesn't play. He doesn't back. play like a starter, though, does he? No, I, I understand what you're saying. He's not really. I don't think he's really been brought to the club to be a starter. Let's be honest. But I think he's someone who who looks like he knows the game at this level, and hopefully he can. With the odd goal, like I said, I don't think he's a long term option. He's, he's a stop definitely for a season. And I think, I think when he came on, I was quite, quite happy with him personally. Yeah, I think Sean Miller, as we've already said, is the kind of person who just comes on to settle the game up front. I don't think he's ever going to make a dent in Doyle or Delfonso, but I think you'd be hard-pressed to find many strikers at this level who would, just on reputation alone, even if the, the, our main two were playing poorly. Um, the other thing that we want to come on when we talk about squad depth, we've touched on it very, very lightly already, is uh, the fact that we you know, don't have an awful lot of replacements for the current midfield trio. I think with Arcee and Crawford, there's a debate that we could have uh, to the cows come home, but we've sort of done it to death on this podcast, so we'll avoid that for the moment. You know, we kind of know what we're getting with both of them. But I've written down here that Andy Tuck can never be dropped, and I'm, I'm not going to stop believing that for the rest of the season. I think he's possibly the best signing we've made. And uh, Sarsovic is as the skipper is probably in a very similar position. So Ed, I'll come to you. What what do we do about White and Comley? I mean, obviously they have to stay in the squad just in case of injury, but they're never going to replace those two, are they? Uh, no, not a chance. Uh, I think Andy Tuck's been a surprise package of the season, really. Um, given how much uh, Markham fans slated him and how not necessarily underwhelming, but how he wasn't seen as this. Know, player to change our season or to make such a, a massive impact and now you can't see him not being in that starting 11 he's one of the first names on the team sheet every week and you saw the impact um, 
they had um, when he wasn't in the team because Tom White just can't do the same job. Oh, Brandon Conley can't do the same job that uh, Andy Tuck does. And we saw again tonight against Scunthorpe how fantastic he was. Just does. Um, someone described it in a, a group chat. I mean, uh, I don't know if you've ever seen it. It's always sunny in Philadelphia, but there's a character called Charlie and he does all the all the shite work in the in the bar, like cleaning the toilets and scrubbing the floors and shit like this. And they call it Charlie work. He does that Charlie work. He just does the stuff that no one else wants to do in that midfield and just mops up everything. It's absolutely fantastic. And Tom White's young enough that he could probably, in a couple of years, maybe if we manage to keep hold of him at the end of the season, I don't know what their, their intentions are, whether or not he, he might go back in January and we might look to strengthen the midfield that way. But if we do look to bring him in at the end of the season on a free transfer, um, because I don't think realistically he has a future at Blackburn. Um, no, definitely not. Right. No, but whether or not he can have the same impact in a couple of years, if, if you know he carries on training and training, uh, he can become a better player. There's still time. Um, Brandon Conway's still relatively young. He's only 25. But he was seen as that Jay Spearing, Jason Lowe, Carl Henry, shithousing, master of the dark arts uh, player. And he just isn't that or hasn't no. performed like that, uh, which is a shame, really, because he was a player, the opposite of Andy Tuck, he was a player who we were all kind of impressed by, his passing stats and his experience at this level. And we all thought, right, well, he's going to be our defensive midfielder for the season. He's going to be this fantastic player uh, to anchor our midfield. And he just hasn't been that, sadly. And on performances alone, I mean, you mentioned the Newcastle game where he gave the ball away. Uh, I just thought see him getting in the team and maybe in training, he can improve and there, but I think Everett's mentioned in the last few weeks he's going to shake the hands of a few players maybe and see them on the way in January and I think Brendan Conway might be on that list. I, I, to be honest with you, I, I agree. I think it's a shame because I'm going to you know, go against the mould here and say that I think there is a player in Brendan Conway. I think there is a team. I, I think he would be useful in a different kind of side. I don't necessarily think he suits whatever he's trying to do because I think the importance of transitions in midfield in terms of getting the ball turning and driving forward, I don't think that's who he is. I think if we were playing a 4-5-1 with a target man and he was at the top of that uh, 4-5, 5 in midfield, I think he would be perfect. I think because that is a Jason Lowe, Jay Spearing role. I don't think there is any room for a person like that in the current team that we're trying to build here. So I think that's a, a dreadful shame for him, but it could well be, you know, as you say, shake hands, best of a bad job, and go and find another club. And the last thing that I want to talk about in terms of squad depth, uh, I'll come to you, James, is are we concerned that we have a settled starting eleven now? Any kind of injury, because let's be honest, it's Bolton about to get them, is going to sort of knock us off this perch that we've managed to get ourselves up to? Uh maybe if it maybe if it happens up front because we just don't let's fit let's face it our other strikers just aren't as prolific as as Doyle can be on his day or even as Delfonso can be on his day uh, so that's the position I'm most worried about if it happens there then I'm worried about us being not so high perch if it happens anywhere else especially in especially in defense I'm not nearly as worried I, I think I think if we can keep I think we can keep this going, but you look at some of the some of the more successful sides, like a um, bit of a more obscure one. But every time Burnley have been promoted from the Championship, they've barely changed their starting eleven. 
I d- Liverpool didn't change their starting eleven that much when they won the when they won the title. You know, you know, thing, you know, things like that. Having a settled squad usually usually leads to success. So while we can worry whether it will happen or not, at the moment it's not happening. So let's just keep riding it. We'll just have to approach that situation when we come to it. Let's say, for example, if it manages to, um, we manage to sustain this kind of similar starting eleven up until January. If we're worried about squad depth, then we can adjust accordingly so we feel a bit more comfortable in each position. It, you know, as if as long as we don't get to a situation back to October, we'll, we'll probably we'll probably be fine because this squad this squad is more together now. They they know how each other play. Um, we're more used to the formation. Those those bits seem in place so. Um, so as long as you can just get um, the the competition in place, just to keep it all s- strong, keep it going. Who who knows? Who knows where we'll be? But right now, I'm not worried. Let's just enjoy it, cause cause I know we know Bolton's curse with injuries, but oh, hopefully hopefully that's changing. We're actually we're actually getting wins. I don't I don't want to lose that kind of positive vibe by thinking about what may be inevitable. No, fair enough. That's a very, very good point. Um, sorry, right, we'll move on to the fourth topic that I've got down here, and that is Everts' plan paying off. Lee, I'll come to you first. He told us there might be a warm-up period. Um, with, there certainly was a warm-up period um, before the players sort of fi- finally began to understand his methods and what tactics they were supposed to be employing. Do you think we've just gone over that warm-up period, warm period and we're now into into the flow, as it were, the flow that he got into with Barra to get them promoted? Yeah, I think, to be honest, the thing that's improved is the ability to sort of cut out the silly mistakes and battle battle to win. We're not blowing teams away, are we? We've not won a game without us. All right, we've won, we beat Salford by two, which was fortunate, really. You know, the, the second goal, I don't think we'd have got a second goal if it wasn't for Turnbull's um, blaring, obviously. With the kind of Generosity, I think we could phrase yeah. it as. <laughs> exactly. So, you know, with, without that, I'm not sure whether we'd have had the wherewithal to get another one, and we might have come away with a draw in that game if it wasn't to give, you know, give that a little bit of a um, bit of daylight for us to, to see out the game a bit more comfortably. But yeah, it was a struggle today. They could have gone in one 0 It's not like we're blowing teams away, but I'm not. I'm not trying to be negative. All I'm saying is, I don't think we're playing the way he wants us to yet. I think it's great that we're winning while we're still not playing that way. But there's certainly the flashes that were happening in the games where we were drawing at home to games with 0-0 and there was the odd flash where you thought, right, that, that's it. Quick movement, one-twos, you know, clever, incisive play. It, 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 you could see that it was there even in the worst of games. Late in Orient, probably not, but, you know, let's say Darcy came on and did his best to try and get that going, but 4-0, But anyway, I think what, we've, what, he, what we're seeing is and um, he's realised that we needed to needed to basically tackle games in this division as as the division plays it. It's a weird phrase, but you've got to sort of play the game as it comes and and playing good football all the time, just literally as possible. Um, Stevenage on Saturday, they were ninety percent of the time they just smashed it forward. Uh, Cuthbert centre half smashed it forward and. That was the only way they were going to get up the pitch because we were clearly the better football team. But when, when teams do that, it's inevitable that 
for 10, 15 minutes there, you know, even 20 minute spells, you're not going to get a chance to get the ball down and play. It's not like the Premier League where you get you get the time to do so. It, it is you can see it even more now. You know, but having seen 10, 12 games at this level, um, it's difficult to, to play the way that Everett wants them to on a 90 minute basis. It, no team plays well for 90 minutes, even in even the best performances we've ever seen in your life, Brazil 1970. I bet they weren't great for 90 minutes. <laughs> so it's, it's a case of just horses for courses. And, and yeah, Everett is certainly, uh, we've certainly turned a corner in that the spells of play that we do put together are bearing more fruit, but we're also keeping the back door shut as well, which makes a massive difference. Yeah, I was going to come on to that as well, Ed. It's, we're not the free-scoring side that Everett wanted us to be. We could well be. You know, there's still a lot of games left. But at the moment, it's our solidity at the back that's sort of defining us. We've, we've got the goals in games and we've held on to those leads. Did you think it will worry him at all that we're not as free-scoring or as free-flowing in attack as, as we are, but we're still winning? Maybe. I think the, the biggest worry for me is not taking the chances when you're on top, I think. Um, we were quite fortunate not to go in at half-time behind because uh, we were the dominant team the first 20 minutes, couldn't have that large chance or couldn't take a chance to take the lead and then they allowed Scunthorpe to get back into the game and I don't know how, like, that chance from the corner or a free kick, I can't remember what it was, but I don't know how the hell that didn't go in. I think we were quite fortunate not to be behind at half-time and I think that might be the worry, not taking the chances when you could, they, they come your way. Um, I don't think, I'm, although you know we'd love to see, and I'm sure Everett would love to see uh, expansive attacking football, and we'd, we're putting four or five past every single team. We might see that on Saturday. Uh, we should see that on Saturday, really, against Southend. They are god awful. Um, but I think the most important thing, getting those three points at the minute, anyway, just getting a, the winning mentality. I think the style of play can come later, and. Um, the main issue from not being the free-flowing attacking uh, team that Everett wants is just not taking the chances when they come your way. And hopefully um, we can, as you said, keep have that, having that solidity at the back with, with Santos and Delaney and Baptiste and um, Jilks. And hopefully we can, like we tonight, we get that chance at some point, take the lead and then can keep the lead and win. Uh, attacking free-flowing football will just come with time as they get more and more used to however it wants them to play. Yeah, I, I think it's fair to say we're not seeing exactly what was necessarily promised in the summer, but we are seeing, I think, a lot of flashes of really, really good passing, good movement. Um, there's still an element of direct football at times which I think needs to be cut out a little bit because we don't really have the players to be able to play it that way. But I suppose we are at League 2 and it's you know impossible to expect us to be constantly playing nice free-flowing football. Um, the other thing I would say about this, James, is that do we think it's style that's given us these recent results or personnel or perhaps something else that you've noticed that has changed automatically? Maybe it's just down to the influence of Jilks, I don't know, but I, I was wondering if you thought that maybe Ever could take a bit more credit for implementing a better style that's made us a bit more successful of late. Uh, I think it's a combination of... Um... Getting the right personnel because I believe in our loss to um, uh, Leighton Orient. Obviously, we've replaced Krellin since then. I believe we've replaced Conley from the team since then. Uh, I can't remember who was at left wing back, but I think it was he, I think it was Gordon at left wing back. He's been replaced since then. Um, 
you know, you know, we've got our we've got our main strike force back. You know, it 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 helps to it helps to have your key players back inside, so that definitely helps. Um, yeah, the influence of Jilts obviously, as we said on the defense, but the defense was getting better anyway. So it, it Jilts was more about sorting out the goalkeeping position. Um, so so sorry sorry, I'm losing my head. Can you <laughs> can you just re- uh, repeat your question again, just so I can. I'm just wondering whether or not you think most of it is down to a change of style that we've had of later, whether, as you say, it's been more down to personnel. And to be honest with you, I'm agreeing with you. I think it's more personnel-based. I think he's put people in the right positions. Um, certainly, playing Tut has made an enormous difference. He, he's been utterly superb. And put, you know, him, the chopping and changing of him being in the team, out of the team, I think was lending itself to the consistency that happened overall. So I was just wondering if you thought that it was more style-based or personnel-based that's led to this upturn in form. Yeah, yeah but, well, that's the other main thing. It's it's consistency. Having a, having a settled side make, makes a huge difference because they all know how each other is going to play each match. Um, the, st- the style comes with time, and again, the more they play each other, the more they play each other, the more intelligent runs they'll make. Um, like, we're, like we're all having a go at... Um, just how some how misplaced some of the passes were because some of the people that they didn't expect to be in those positions weren't in those positions. I've not I have noticed that though I have though I still say he frustrates me more of Crawford's passing his little flick balls to try and find through clever runs more of them are reaching his target because they just know where he's going to place it. It's the little things like that that make the huge difference and it's also the mentality shift. All the players. They're they're running up and down the length of the pitch constantly. You could compared to earlier games where some of them lazed back, you know, lazed back into position or didn't put the full effort into challenges in the air or whatnot. You you know, you know they 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 wanted to be there for promotion. It, as soon as it was clicking with them that they might either be out the door or that they might seriously be in for a relegation battle if they don't look up their ideas. It, it's that kind it's that kind of shift so though it's probably mainly personnel it's it's also just that mentality that desire just getting that drilled into their heads and as well as just being more confident and used to each other it's a combination of factors that's that's you know brought us to this position in in my yeah, but, but as you've said though I, th- I think consistency is key is that 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 little phrase there is is the thing that's characterized the little uh improvements that we've seen over the last few weeks that have resulted in these wins and as we've said ad nauseum it's not the finished article by you know any stretch of the imagination we're not doing an exeter and putting six past a good side like colchester but and and maybe there's also an argument for the fact that we've played some poor teams over the last couple of games and certainly we're coming up against what should be a very very poor team on saturday well, but you, you, you can, can only be you can only beat what's in front of you can't yeah, exactly exactly you can only beat what's in front of you whether that's newcastle's under 21s or whether that's salford um Wins breed confidence, no matter who the, no matter who they're against. That 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 that's always been the de facto rule of football, and and it's like anything. The more you do something, the more you get used to it. The more the 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 more often you are likely to do it. And God knows that Bolton has been used to losing. We knew oh, how yeah. to we knew how to lose, and right now we're learning how to win games. And hope hopefully it leads to an a bar, another Barrow esque run. For Ian Everett, but this time with us. Hopefully, we'll be speaking about us in 20 games' time that we've gone 20 games unbeaten again. 
uh, for the for the first time in God knows how long. If if we've even done that in our entire history, I wonder. I wonder. That's a very good point. I wonder if you've ever, what, what the longest unbeaten run we've ever had for Bolton is. We're getting way ahead of ourselves here. I've just suddenly had to stop myself, put the brakes on a little bit. But uh, yeah, wow. That's, that's that's a nice thought, James. You really really nice positivity there. Um, well, well, you but can't, yeah, you the, can't help but be positive. The team the team's playing positive. We're getting positive results. It's it may be a foreign feeling, but but I like it. Yeah. Bring on this change. We'll come crashing down to earth if we manage to lose to those idiots south end. But, you know, we'll, have we'll, to get we'll see what happens. We'll have to get swatting up and find out what is our longest ever unbeaten run. For, uh, We're not, I'm, not, I'm not doing that until we get to 10, Lee. I'm not jinxing anything, mate. For Mark's final, for, for, for the semi-final of Mark, uh, Mark Alves' uh, quiz that rolling. Anyway. You know, we got promoted yeah, in League yeah, One for God's yeah. sake, and we still managed to lose at Scunthorpe. Yeah, sorry. Yeah, in our in our history, though, we've not re- generally played them very often, so it's not a game that we've lost throughout the annals of history. But if you know what I mean, it's tough to get Tuesday night against a team towards the bottom of the league who just picked up a couple of results. It, it, that, that was a tough game. We I fully expect us to lose tonight. Logging on to I follow and listening to you know listening to the commentary before the game, I was just like. Oh. We're gonna we're gonna get beaten, and the sort of momentum is gonna come to a grinding halt. But we didn't, so fantastic. Anyway, Tom, move on with what you need to do with the with the running order because I'm I'm watching that to waffle there. Not at all, mate. This is why we have you on, Lee. We love we love a good Lee waffle. In fact, you know what? We'll do a very we'll do a buff style segment at some point, like Lee's waffle or something like that. Yeah. <laughs> good one for us. You might never end. Yeah, possibly. It's still better than Alright or Barry Knight. Um, either way, though, you did actually segue me very nicely to the final of our five things that we've got uh, for this podcast. I've always got, I've always got a plan in my waffling. Exactly. And that's, you mentioned iFollow. We may not have to use iFollow for very long because, of course, this week marked the announcement from the government that fans in this country would be returning to Stadia from the 2nd of December. Um, so that would lead to a maximum of 4,000 fans being allowed into Stadia in Tier 1 regions, 1,000 in Tier 2 regions, and none in Tier 3 regions. And of course, it's quite likely that Bolton would be going into Tier 3 as it was before the lockdown, although having done a little bit of research previous to prior to this podcast, um, we are well, sorry, Bolton does te- look like it is below the national average in terms of uh, infections and cases and stuff like that. So let's hope that the government don't um, do that. But I'll come to you, Ed. Uh, obviously, this is good news, but it does lend itself to a little bit of a difficult situation because if we're only, even in the best possible situation, we're allowed 4,000 fans in, that's a lot of season ticket holders who are missing out, isn't it? Yeah, it's, it's, I don't envy the club at all who's got to decide how the hell um, who's going to you know, be able to watch the game at the stadium because it's what eight, between eight and eight and a half thousand fans who've got season tickets and they'll all be chomping at a bit to get back to the ground like we all are. 
um, and less than half if we're fortunate enough to be in tier one, which where things are going, we, we might well be. Um, or even in tier two with 2,000, how the hell are you going to decide what quarter the season ticket holders are going to... Um, is it going to be a raffle? Is it just going to be uh, one week on, one week off? And then you've got to take into uh, account uh, people you go with, your friends, your family, who you not, but you you don't necessarily live with. Uh, can you be guaranteed that you're going to be able to be with them when you get to go and see them? Because obviously you, you don't want to go without your friends or family, do you? You don't want to go and watch your team without the people you, uh, you, you love going to watch football with. So it's a real... A real difficult situation, a lot difficult than certainly other teams in our league who haven't sold this many season tickets. Well, don't have the grounds for it, that's the thing. Exactly, yeah. And I think it's a real unfair way of doing it. I know it was discussed earlier when it was looking like ages and ages ago. It seems so long ago now when it was looking to be October when we were back into the stadiums. It was going to be a third capacity, wasn't it? Which Mm -hmm. was around uh, the amount of season tickets that we sold. We sold... um, less than a third which was absolutely fantastic and it's tremendous we've sold this amount of season tickets in, in League 2 and it's by far and away the most in League 2 and possibly League 1 uh, yeah it's just so cruel on some people uh, who um, have paid money to season tickets my nephew's uh, just turned 9 and he's just got his first season ticket and um, there's no guarantees that he'll be able to go to games should we be allowed back into the stadiums every week and it, it wouldn't be fair on it's just a, such a convoluted mess. Um, I really feel the stadium that we have, you can be safe uh, and follow government guidelines and have all the season ticket holders in there, but then some clubs might kick up a force and say, why have Bolton got this many fans in there? Yeah, it's, think- it, it, that's exactly the point that I was going to make, actually, because you, you're right about how realistically they've made a cock up by not doing it from a capacity perspective. And then Gary Neville, as he always does, was the one piping up saying how unfair it would be to the competition for some people just because they're in low, well, quote-unquote, low-risk areas, um, being able to have fans in and stuff. And I think, you know, Bolton would be the shining example, wouldn't it, if we'd have been able to call upon 8,500 or whatever it is, season ticket holders, when, hmm. you know, Barrow and the likes were barely able to get 500 to 1,000 in under the restrictions. So perhaps they decided that this was the most fair way, but it doesn't seem that way to me, does it? Oh, not at all. And even looking at it from a Premier League standpoint, how wild is it going to be if Manchester's in tier one to see 4,000 fans at Old Trafford and how the hell are they going to decide which 4,000 fans get to go to games? Because they sell a a ridiculous amount of season tickets. You have to be on a waiting list for years and years to get a season ticket with Manchester United. Yeah, I've got a mate who's exactly that. He's been on that waiting list now for about 10 years or something. Yeah, exactly. So... For them to turn around and try and pick that amount of fans, whether it is going to be like a raffle or whether it is just going to be you have to pick a game. Yeah, it's probably going to be like um, if you're if you've ever applied for tickets for a Euros or a World Cup or you know a big sporting event like that, you try and pick the games that you want to go to, and then you're entered into a raffle and you tell whether you're successful or not. It's it's a real mess, and I don't buy into this advantage for teams who've got bigger stadiums if a team's got a bigger stadium that's because they're a bigger team got a bigger <laughs> fan base it's um, an advantage in itself isn't it I think Matt Letizia made the point where by saying on Twitter it's no different to you having a bigger budget to spend which of course is a very uh, pertinent thing to say to Gary Neville at Salford because they outspend the league by I would say about 100% probably more exactly. 
Exactly. Yeah, they've they've obviously spent the most money uh, within the parameters of the salary cap this season. You know, they brought George Boyd in, didn't they? For Christ's sake, got a free transfer after he'd done all the business. Um, so it you know for him to be talking about advantages from crowds, I think it's a little bit silly. But it's just so it's it's just such a mess, and I really hope they've they thought about it and they have a a, a plan in place uh, for this. I wouldn't be surprised if they don't because the government are changing their minds all the time on this. And um, it's, yeah, I just, I just don't know what to say, to be honest, because it, it, they have to decide one way enough. They might come to the fans and say, how, how, how the hell do, you know, how the hell do you want to go ahead with this? Um, I can't see that happening, mate. They don't care about our opinions. Maybe so, but uh, I just think we're all dying to be watching the team. I mean, Christ, I would have loved to have been that away in the Glanford Park tonight. Um, and that um, ball hit the back of the net from Kyo. So uh, I think we're all just chomping at a bit to be back watching live sport. And unfortunately, a lot of us just aren't going to be able to do that for a, a long while yet. I know. Lee, I remember you saying on the group that you uh, go to to games with your mate and his dad am I right and you know it kind of ruins the experience of being of going to the Bolton games if you're not able to go with the people that you want to and obviously under this current strange decision that they've taken that is no guarantee at all yeah like you say it's um, yeah I've I've been going with him since the last season at Burton Park so it's 20 25 years really tradition yeah pretty much now 25 years so yeah it would be strange going going to the game without him really but I can understand if they can't guarantee that everyone goes with each other because then I don't know, I don't know. It's, it's a bit of a mess but I, 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 I can't really envy it I'm, I'm no political I don't have any any political sort of allegiance but I don't really envy the government having to make a decision on how many fans and, and, and then it's obviously down to the, the football club but I, I can't really think of a fair a fairer way than saying this is the amount of fans that every club can have in rather than a percentage because I don't, I don't know. It, there's, there's probably loads of arguments as to why it should be a percentage of, of the game. I suppose it should, really. If we've got 28,000 capacity, um, 28 and a half, then really we should probably be allowed seven or eight in, which pretty much covers most of the season ticket holders. And those who didn't buy a season ticket can't really have a complaint that they're not going. But yeah, it's a really difficult one. Uh, if I can't, if I can only go on my own, I'll enjoy it. I think, I think it's, it'd be slightly different because I think. Everyone who does get to go will, will, will it'll be so like not emotional, but it'll, it'll, they'll, they'll appreciate it so much more than maybe when we used to trudge in Freeman's days down, you know, down the down the road to the Reebok and the sense of foreboding and pretty much for the last ten years, apart from the you know, glimmer of hope like Parkinson's League one season, even then, you know, you'd go to the Reebok and have a bit of a it'd be sort of a sometimes become a chore rather than rather than you know something that you enjoy. So I think. You know, going back into the stadium now, uh, even if you had to go in on your own and you work with, you know, the, the people you enjoy, and it used to be a lonely experience going watch that. I've been three times on my own to the game when I, when either everyone who I used to go with um, was away, or I just decided to go and they, and they missed a cup game that they couldn't be bothered going to. It's a pretty lonely, pretty joyless experience, pretty soulless experience. Sat on your own, thinking you might be able to chat to. A guy next to you who's not interested looking at his phone or whatever, you know, it's, it's a fairly fairly joyless experience watching any team on your own, you know. But um, let's hope it doesn't come to that and you can, you know, you either get lucky that you can go in your bubble because my mate bought a season ticket for me in 
like uh, he he bought it in like a uh, four four of us actually. Um, there's another chap who comes with us, like who. Um, so there's like four of us who go sort of meet up and up, all sort of chat to each other at the game. So if that happens, brilliant. I'd be, be delighted um, if we can all go together. If if I have to go, maybe there's just two of us who get to go, or I'm just on my own. I'm still going to go. Definitely, you know, paid this past 400 quid, and I'm not going to see see a game unless I decide to sort of bite the bullet and say, yeah, okay, of course, of course I'll go if I have to go on my own. But yeah, because it would be better to go with with uh, with, with people you go with and that you know it makes the, it makes the experience doesn't it when you the people you go with anything in life the, the people who surround you make the experience better or worse so yeah it, it would be great if we could if we go all go together and let's hope that's the case but it's it's a, it's a, it's a really tricky one isn't it I mean, it it is, and and it isn't. I mean, you guys all know know my view on this. If it was me, I would be having as many people go into the ground as they want to. You know, people, my view, should be able to take their life in their own hands and do and do what they like, especially in this kind of situation. Because going out into a stadium, I don't think would be causing any problems. I do completely understand why the government don't want away fans going, for example, because you don't want to have, you know, in theory, people going from all the, up and down the country and technically spreading the, the virus with them from one part of the country to the other. I, I understand where they come from on that, but I think with this level, certainly, you're getting a load of people coming from one area, going to a stadium, not sitting next to each other, especially even if you did have 8,500 season ticket holders in the size stadium that we had, no one would have to be near each other if they were. I, I really do not understand why you would not be able to do it under that basis. James, James I'll just come come to you uh, just for your reaction to it. I, were, were you happy when you heard the announcement or were you like us and sort of picking holes in it? Uh, well, I, I picked holes in the, in, the, in the attendance thing. I thought it should be some kind of scale and percentage depending on ground capacity myself, but no, they went for the blanket approach, which I don't agree with, but... Any, but to be honest, having any fans in at all is a step up from having no fans in. I think we can all agree on that. So I'll give them credit. Yeah, in I that think regard. baby steps, isn't it? Yeah, so yeah. So I'll give them credit in that regard. Um, but yeah, yeah. I was um, I I was happy about the news, especially as someone who who works match days at United. I I need I need the work so. Yeah, and, and and me and probably many other people n- need the work who 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 are out at the moment. So it it was pretty much only positive. Like I say, the the nitpicks I had was just the way they went about it. I I I pretty much agree on the points that I don't envy who has to make the decision on on who comes to what games or you know you know who sits where, having to make sure that any people in their initial blocks sit with each other because I don't share my last name with my granddad or my cousin who I go to games with so hope so trying to get them to recognize that we always sit together at a game might be difficult and getting getting all three of us to go to the game together might be a struggle that might be something we'll have to adapt I'll have to adapt to if I ever want to go to if I ever want to go to a game this season it it it's there's too much there's too much nuance to that side of it for there to be a, to be a clear decision on who gets to go to the games but as for the amount of people i thought that was a bit more obvious but i'm not the one making the decisions so but but overall 
it's a pos- it's definitely a positive that we'll be allowed back in. It's going to make a world of difference to be able to support our lads live and actually see how we play our football live because who knows how much better we might be around December when we when we get to actually attend the game and see us batter Keith Hills Tranmere 5-0. Oh yeah, I mean, I'll tell you now, if they are going to do some kind of raffle which means I may or may not be able to get into that game. The second I find someone who does get a ticket, if, for example, I don't, they can have whatever they want off me. I just want to go to that game. <laughs> and if, if there are any rules about not shouting, they might have to chuck me out. <laughs> oh, I'm, I'm, I'm totally that. with you. I'm totally with you. <laughs> they will definitely have to chuck me out at that right, point. Personal, personal message to whoever runs the ticket if, or, or whoever's listening right now. If you can, if if I don't attend that game, we're going to be having words. Get me in that yeah, game. Get hell, me and Tom in that game. Hell to pay, otherwise. Uh, but yeah, it's good to be having fans back. Could have been handled better, but we we are going to be able to go and watch the Wanderers apparently, and that is a good thing. Of course, we're going to get put in tier three now that I've said that. But you know, Celavi, we're winning games. Three is the only number that we deal in, boys. Uh, thank you very much for coming on and talking Bolton Wanderers I know it's getting quite late now but I think post-match there's a bit of positivity to have especially after we've won and James as we've said previously if we'd lost this wouldn't be happening so at least listeners if you enjoyed this thank Peter Kioso he made this all possible Uh, so yeah James Ed Lee thank you very much for coming on thank you everyone for listening to episode 154 of the Lambie Street podcast and I'm sure we'll speak soon thanks very much guys see you later